I don't know about you guys, but I got a lot of jokes. Let's start with one. Go for it, Josh. <laughs> no, no, I got to wait for you guys to set me up when you're talking about the, the stuff. Oh, okay. Well, Can um, you give sorry. an example of a moment that you might <laughs> see as an opportunity to make sure that Eric and I can properly <laughs> lay, them in, lay them in their soft for you? <laughs> I don't know. We'll, it, we'll see what happens. All right, I, yeah. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm workshopping much, some leukemia stuff. So Much like the trains of Hiroshima, that derailed quickly. Oh, see, you're the one who got it. You got it. Well, got what? There's no... Never mind. So, <laughs> so are we good to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is the show. This is the show and the What's never ending to find the beginning that came before everything Like kids with decoders discover the wonder in the Josh, I, I, you know, I, first off, I wanted to say um, everybody here on this call loves you. We're all here to support you. <laughs> and um, we hate to do this to you, but we had to call this intervention so that we could talk about you reading Three Body Problem. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We need you, to discuss when that's going to occur. You do got to do it. <laughs> set actionable steps. Yeah, we need Look, deadlines. We need a timetable. Weekly check-ins. I, I didn't start it. Because I ended up, you know, finishing reading about uh, restricted data in America. and Yeah, this is not a blame session. This is not about the mistakes I, you've made. This I is wanted, about I what corrective action it. we're going to take as a group to move forward. It, look, in the future, I'll have plenty of rowing sessions that I'll be able to just get in, I don't know, yeah, a this is all about of a chapter. This is a all time. about your your perilous lack of free time. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't understand how how hard it is to try to figure out how to fill a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> chapters are pretty small on this book. I gotta say, it's true. They're they're bite sized, action packed. Oh, just like so, there's like a hundred chapters. Uh, I, I think I, there's 30, 35 in the first book. I don't even, I don't remember if they're even numbered. <laughs> yeah, they they are numbered. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Yeah. The book I'm currently reading is uh, that Annihilation book, and it's it only has like five chapters, <laughs> but it's like 195 pages. Okay. So it's just one of those ones where you scroll through and you're like, oh, okay, this one's gonna take a while. Yeah. Yeah. Never tell yourself, I'll finish this chapter and then I'll go to sleep. Yeah. It luckily breaks it up with like little tildes in between. Mm. But, like uh, the way the tildes where they go all the way, all the way across the page. No. Well, I mean, it's, you know, a biology based sci-fi book. So it's got a little fern like twig. Oh, instead of a tilde. yeah, 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 mm. yeah. Mm. That's nice. Cute. Did you get yeah. to the 
did you get to the bear yet? Um, are you familiar with it? Because he's, he's clearly seen the movie and nothing else. <laughs> See, you two both knew this was a movie. Um, I didn't. The weird thing, though, with the cover of this book, and I don't know how else to describe it, that the the cover and then the back cover, like the cover of it has kind of a, it looks like a, a what are those plants that eat things? Like, not parasitic Venus plants, fly trap? Well, yeah, but like just the name. It looks, I guess, like a Venus fly trap-ish plant, one that would eat you. Um, and it's in this kind of green color, and then the back cover is also green. But I swear to you, in the sunlight, it is neon yellow. Like, I think they did something with the ink <laughs> to change oh. where it changes color. It's like an iridescent kinda, something. Something like that, but it's not shiny at all. It, you like, guys plays remember into those? Story, I think. You remember those Camaros? No. When we were in high school, or when nope. I was in high school? Nope. That were like it was like green, but then mm-hmm. if it was in the sun, it kind of turned purple. I don't remember that. Yeah, somebody has a Tesla like that here. Is that the <laughs> like? I, the only thing I remember is vaguely after the first Fast and the Furious, some people had like purple cars that from different angles were different colors. Is that yeah, what you're yeah. talking about? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Kind of has a glittery, uh, glittery effect to it. There was a name for it. Iridescent. Could be that name. <laughs> Iridescent Camaro. <laughs> uh, iridescent feels like too big of a word for the demographic that was most interested in these cars. Yeah, yeah. They they would have they would have called it something like. Uh, like translucent, but got it wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Some kind of mist. Yeah. Something mist. Shiny. Shimmer mist. <laughs> shimmer mist is a solid guess. I don't <laughs> think that's I don't think that's far off. <laughs> See, we typically record in the mornings, but you're catching nighttime Eric where I'm mm. on the ball. Oh yeah, yeah. No. Eric's got his tight five ready. So <laughs> <clears throat> Well, so Justin, we have you here um, because you know history. Sort of. Right? Some. Um, I don't think I know how you know history, though. I have a degree in in history. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) That certainly helps things. (laughs) I did my my undergrad in history with a minor in political science and economics. So just okay. an amateur, eh? I mean, an underachiever. That, that definitely <laughs> qualifies me as an amateur. Uh, I learned I learned how to write. Um, I learned how to read what other people had written and reframe it in a way that sounded like I had thought of it. That is that is a history the history degree that I acquired. Every yes. one of our yeah. conversations now makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just that. It's it's also reading like a bunch of people and then deciding. These three people have no idea what they were talking about. And these five people, they have, I, I, I'm down with what their point of view was on this matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then finding just enough um, cherry-picked, like, uh, source from primary sources to, like, justify my perspective while ignoring the, like, bulk of the evidence. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, yeah, exactly. you understand. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> What was your focus? Do you have like a, a focus in when you get a history degree that it's like this year time frame or this um, area of the world? Some institutions do. Uh, the undergrad program I went through did not. 
uh, I sort of self-selected a focus of um, like Cold War history just by like filling all my electives with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was not like a true focus. Like I didn't okay. have to, I didn't have to do like a capstone. There was no like nothing built up to anything else. I just took as many classes that were focused on um, Cold War history as I could. Were you interested in that because like, I, I don't know about you, but every history class I ever took, you know, obviously the book went all the way up to the present, but they never made it past. Like, <laughs> I mean, this is like a Mike Reiner joke, but yes. they did never make it past like the, the cotton gin. Um, I would not say that was what inspired me to pursue history as a higher. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just meaning the focus for extracurriculars in oh. the more modern era. Uh, no, I mean my interest in the Cold War was like that. It felt like, uh, like my my mom in particular, um, like she watched the News Hour on PBS every night, and like my like. Uh, That's the one with the clicking talk, right? No, that's the one with that's on public television that has, oh, okay. yeah, this, I think you're talking about 60 minutes, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. 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 No, yeah. it's the one, it's the one that's very serious. And that when Europeans with, em- with immigrate the, here, it's the one that they watch. Cause they're like, yeah. Oh, this is a news program. <laughs> as yeah, opposed to none, random none, flashing lights. <laughs> none of the anchors are attractive. Like no Judy one Woodruff, was chosen. Judy Woodruff has got some moves. Don't you don't sleep on Judy Woodruff. <laughs> Maybe not anymore. Those moves might have left her, but let's not. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. May she rest in peace. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like I think the, that I had a framework uh, that existed from growing up in the '90s, where I was trying to figure out, looking backwards, like where, do, like how do we get to current state? Okay. And so a lot of that is defined like 1944, 45 on. And then and there's like some like trying to understand my father, right? Like the way everybody in college is to an extent trying to understand their own context. Uh, like my dad graduated from college in 1963 and joined the Air Force. Like, yes, the Cold War had an impact on the rest of all of our yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, I know my dad like had joined the Marine Corps during like the somehow four year period where the US was like not invading any country. Yeah, the super chill days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that like one sweet spot of like no invasion. So um it was kind of like a, you know, at least from my perspective growing up, it was something that it it was like <laughs> I would say uh, in the household, he was envious that people were able to go <laughs> invade other countries. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the context I had. Um, so it was more like, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely not at your level of understanding this stuff, but it's something that's just kind of interesting to, as you describe, like work backwards. Like, how did we get to here? Because whenever you look at, you know, anything in the continent of Asia, you're you're getting such a different perspective through modern events than what seems to have actually happened there yeah and then yeah i i think that's pretty fair and then there's also just like the rate of change is so high oh right, uh, right. like in you know china and japan in particular but it seems like all across like the whole asian continent from like a a big uh, to steal a phrase, a great leap forward uh, in the like uh, from the 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 ancient and the modern seem to like touch in Asia in ways that like 
in the Western canon, you see this more like, oh, there's this like progress, like we started here and there's like this sequential sort of thing. And then like in other places, it seems like it got dumped in their lap, not always by choice. And there's these like big seminal moments where, you know, things change. I don't know. That's like the most sort of like generalization that if I heard someone else say it, I'd be like, what a fucking asshole. But <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I think it's a good sum up. You know, the uh, I mean, part of it is just the idea of uh, from an American standpoint of we had all this untouched land, never, never seen by humans, you know, type of type of perspective where we got to you, you start from scratch. And so then when you start from the this pretend idea of starting from scratch, then when that is coupled with like just in the right time for like an industrial revolution to happen, like everything yeah. just like is like, wow, look at all this magic that we're just popping up all around us right. of modernization. We're not even having to grapple with like any weird uh, culture war type of things that are going to like really cause our society to fall apart, maybe. And then I, I think there's also like an interesting like the like there's different theories of the study of history and like ours is very much framed around the idea of progress, like ours being like America and Europe where, you know, probably not exclusively, but those are the ones that like we're sort of, I think, familiar with just from like mm -hmm. the culture we were raised in. And there's this idea that like, like history has a, a curve to it and it's moving in one direction. Um, and when you get out, when you look at other, the way history is studied in other places, it, it breaks that paradigm in ways that can be like instructive and help you reframe the things you already know while also um, making you, I think, a more critical and active thinker, like about everything else that happens in life. Like some things are cyclical, some things go up, sometimes the line goes fucking down. So there's no in, eternal continuum of progress that just right. goes up for one. One society is just like it was the original one and it's just just kept trucking gotten yeah, better yeah. every day since day one no days off <laughs> thinking of history always reminds me of like paulo freire's concept of teaching people that you know you're the subject like you have action not teaching history in a context that's like i don't know i felt like how i was raised with history was very much like yeah these big things happened and big things don't happen anymore like there's there's nothing that's <laughs> going to be there's done. A there's a gentleman named uh, is it Francis was his first name right Fukuyama. I feel like every time I'm on this podcast I say his name, but yeah, there's like that is definitely <laughs> yes, a, yeah. a, a theory of a moment of time that like we've all sort of gotten past now. But like yeah, there was a there was a predominant uh, cross like I think it was bigger than politics, which is somewhat rare. But there was a there was a cross ideological understanding that like. We'd, we'd done all the hard things. Uh, yes. <laughs> that was the late 90s, yeah. man. Nothing yeah. could go yeah. wrong. We did it. We, we conquered everything. We were, we're, gonna, we're marching right into the year 2000 with our yeah. eyes open and yeah. no regrets. Which is, which is why everybody who bought <laughs> Yahoo stock is rich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> excite well, <we> really, excite.com. <laughs> really should do the dot-com bubble sometime. I would listen. I would listen. <laughs> I also, I didn't know, I don't know, man. I feel like y'all are overselling. I'm not, I have some history stuff, but like I, I am a, I'm a, uh, 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 not even a hobbyist. I'm a, I, I'm a, when I run out of other things to read, I read history. Like it's not a focus. So I don't know. I don't know. 
<laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> having a degree, like I, it's something you can fall back on so you can put things in better context. So I think that helps with, especially like this, um, this topic that's much more like, I don't know. I think I try, I wanted to stress in the episode last week how all of this stuff was made by humans. All of these decisions were mm. human based, which sure. is something that I feel gets left out whenever you look at these big moments in history. Like, not left out, but it feels way more alien almost. Like, I, it's, you know. I think the, I think, sorry, not to like, I hate. No, go for it. But the other thing that like, you asked why I got interested in history. I, I also pretty early, I probably like, I don't know, whatever, age doesn't matter, but like relatively early and when I started trying to think about and conceptualize the world, um, I started to really strongly reject the idea of evil. I feel like evil is like a thing that people use to not have to look at um, how all human decisions are made by humans who are operating within a framework that you can understand. It might hurt you <laughs> emotionally mm-hmm. and psychologically yep. to understand it, but you can understand it and you can put yourself in a similar place in a, you know, for a moment of time to, and that like evil is an obfuscation of, of the impact of human decision-making and, and the, and the momentum and trajectory of, of human decisions and how they can pile up. And so like, I think history is a way sometimes, um, to like dig into that and to look at how, just like you're saying, Eric, like, things that we want to like just say are evil and then not have to stare right at like it's you know you should regard them yeah and i think that that applies perfectly with this situation just because which you know is probably not the best term to use just (laughs) this little incident it was it was it was a tough afternoon lunch yeah (laughs) well 8 15 in the morning is a weird time for lunch but whatever you gotta do (laughs) It's I I think the the like aftermath, which I want to, you know, not give it um, just brush over everything. But I would like to get more to hearing about like the book you read, Josh, and then Justin, your perspective on these things. But the just after like the bombs were dropped, which is kind of where we left off last week, is just how, um, you know, Josh, you were describing that the U.S. story that's told and the one that people feel so comfortable reciting is that, you know, they dropped the bu- the first bomb and uh, Japan didn't surrender. Yeah, the U.S. So they demanded the surrender <laughs> right. <laughs> at, the, um, at the end of a saber. And then they said, no. And so we were like, well, we're doing it again. Right, right. <laughs> and so I think the understanding that, like, the emperor had expressed to people that he wanted to end the war and just wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to be held responsible as the head of the military um which would probably mean execution at that point um and you know people like macarthur were saying why don't we just take their surrender saying we don't arrest him so he can tell their military to stop fighting us because like obviously through all of those campaigns in the Pacific, they had seen like, this is, you know, a military that's not going to just lay down arms because like you took out their head of state. It's going Mm -hmm. to be really tough. (laughs) Like you cannot convince somebody through fighting them until one of you is dead at that point. And so 
understanding that it got to a point where the emperor like expressly told the supreme council this is what we're doing we're accepting their terms from the the potsdam conference and then the u.s gave those terms that was like here's what you're going to do and it gave specific instructions for the emperor to you know like you're going to tell the military this this and this which implies we're not arresting you you're still in some capacity in charge of controlling this stuff just enough to like stop the war and i think that's knowing that it's like people needing to accept that um you know accept the defeat or whatever like i don't know it feels like in an american context accepting defeat is not an option so i don't i don't know why people are so often find it hard to put themselves in the other position you know yeah i i think there's like some interesting uh, when i was listening last week it, there was like mild i i felt like you guys handled it well and i i had like mild context to add um I think the first point just being like the the sort of distinction between the early uh, surrender negotiation and the late surrender that was accepted is like there was an in the summer of 1945, the Japanese government was arguing that the government should stay intact. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> that, <Yes>. Like, <laughs> like, like, it's cool, guys. It's cool. Like, <laughs> we'll stop fighting and like you guys can just like, we can all go home. Right. And yeah, then they, I, and the, I think the military, too, they want they were like, let's just. You yeah. Know, we'll, right. <laughs> we'll and keep the, that intact. And then the surrender is eventually accepted in August and then September is more along the lines of like, we will allow the emperor to remain as a figurehead, but you have to accept that the future of Japan will be decided by like the citizens of Japan and there'll be a new constitution and like Togo went up for war crimes and like, right. All the, all the stuff. And like, there's a lot mm-hmm. to be said about, uh, whether or not there's like an efficacious process for right. If anyone was actually held to account or not, but it was, there is a distinction in the, the sorts of conditional surrender offered and accepted. Right. Um, and then I think the only other thing I feel like you guys let off a little bit light the um, attempt to frame the decision to surrender as mediated by the bomb. I felt like you covered really well the like components of the like the slowness of the information about the bomb getting to the council and getting to like the uh, decision makers in Tokyo. I think the thing that that American historians and that people who are defensive of the decision to use the bombs rely on a lot is that the public address by the emperor um, fixated to an extent on the terribleness of the weapon. Um, But we don't have to rely on people's propaganda to understand their thinking. And that's explicitly what that message is. And we have, so there's an interesting thing with like, both very little was written down about direct conversations with the emperor for like cultural and and pragmatic reasons. And then also as soon as they knew they were surrendering, they started destroying documents right in the inside Mm. the Japanese government. But we have like several firsthand accounts and a lot of fairly accurate information, including the, the sort of disseminated communication back to um, the people in government that what they were especially worried about was that they had actually legitimately missed the Soviet buildup in Manchuria um, like the Soviet Union did not like half-handed invade. Uh, they moved. No, yeah. They moved 90 divisions all the yeah. way across Russia in a three-month span. 90 divisions is approximately what the combined uh, 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 fuck. What's the word? 
The combined force put into the Western invasion of Europe by the Allied powers other than the Soviet Union, right? So, like, it's nothing yeah. to, like, shake a fist at. Um, and I think that you can, they don't use the, there's not, I don't know that there's source for this directly, but I do think that you can argue that pretty effectively that the decision, Japan's decision, decision to surrender is not that different from the people who abandoned the lines in Germany to make sure they were on the correct side of um, what became the division between Eastern and Western Germany, right? Like yeah. people are making strategic decisions about like, who do I want to surrender to? And once, you know, a couple million battle-hardened Soviet soldiers like flow into China, you're choosing between surrendering to the Americans or being totally overrun by, um, by the Soviets in the long term. And then, I don't know if, did you all read about the like Operation Olympic stuff at all? Uh, I, it doesn't ring a bell. So Operation yeah. Olympic was the, like the planning for the invasion of Japan. And there's this weird like circular logic or not logic, but the circular uh, chain of, of information where the U.S., as you guys mentioned, was reading literally everything that was communicated by anyone, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. e- like even by our allies at that by the end of the war, like we're reading every diplomatic communication between France and Switzerland, like all of it. Um, and so the U.S. Uh, plan for invasion was specific and fairly drawn, like drawn along along like pretty narrow lanes. Um, and while the U.S. was trying to figure out whether or not they accept the surrender of Japan, they were also reckoning with the fact that the Japanese had accurately predicted essentially all of the strategic decisions the U.S. was going to make and were preparing for the invasion in exactly the right ways. And it was going to come down to whether or not to use the bomb to like soften Japanese fortifications. And the Japanese were actually considering the same thing, which is that we can make all these preparations, but what difference does it actually make if they can vaporize them like in real time the day before the boats hit? Um, so, I, I mean, th- like the impact of the bomb is not fear of civilian loss. It's <laughs> fear of, uh, right, the, the collapse of the Japanese military and what that would mean for the people who are trying to hold on to power. I don't know. I think I, I wandered a little bit there, but I feel like that was everything I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the, just the reiteration, too, that they, from the emperor on down, they decide to surrender because of the devastation of Hiroshima. But it's just that they are learning fully of the context of that devastation when the bomb on Nagasaki is dropped, like, and yeah. when Russia is invading Crimea at the like those things are they get the information <laughs> of that like at the same night. Yeah. I don't think they cared the about same Crimea. Meeting. Or not, yeah, not Crimea. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> that's just that's just current times. Yeah. Like, don't worry about that. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but I do think. I mean, I think, and I can't. I don't know that I believe this strongly, but I think that there's an argument to be made that like the timeline's probably slightly different, but just the Soviet invasion of Manchuria is enough. Yeah, that yeah. Japan yeah, probably yeah. surrenders without the bomb, right? And like maybe they surrender in a different context, but like. Yeah, you know, we, we we it's a it's not apples to oranges to say if we don't drop the bomb, you know, two million American service people have to die in Japan or whatever. Like, and right, that's the other not. interesting thing. The other interesting angle, though, is too like we find out in the three to five years after after the bomb is dropped, just how much Soviet um, intrusion there was into the Manhattan Project and how mm. much information they were involved with directly <laughs> during yeah, the entire yeah, yeah. development of the bomb but there's very little 
like I didn't even read anything about oh man we didn't realize that Japan knew everything that was going on up to the Trinity test and everything like that like Japan doesn't it's almost like they don't have the uh, the extra espionage knowledge to mm-hmm. know what's going on behind the scenes to make the decision before they have to make the decision you know one well, did did it, I actually don't know this is an honest question like did Imperial Japan have access to uranium like was that or like I, they have no they had um, they have a very small contingent of scientists that are working on it to the equivalent of about a million dollars a year during the war project and right, they're just right. looking at fission but I don't know if they have access to uh, to your because that's the other thing when the United States starts to work on this and they get a an idea one of the first things they do is even like before World War two is they're capturing up all of this places on on earth that are found where the, any uranium is right like they're Which, they're like taking stock of it before anyone else does you know <laughs> if you're gonna play the game play it hard yeah yeah <laughs> I suppose That's, um, I think yeah. the one thing too that also is very you know contingent on the the culture of the country at the time in Japan is the war like you know had ground to such levels that as we mentioned the the navy was pretty much non-existent they just used their battleships as stationary Mm anti-aircraft and their air force had been so decimated they were using old planes with brand new pilots that were they had so little fuel they were doing just suicide missions that only a fifth of them hit their targets so it was not a well-running machine at that point when it had been for you know probably a majority of the decade i would yeah. imagine or bef- yeah. even before that so the 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 bombs at that point um there's a statement from sako mizu which was the cabinet secretary at the time and he said that the atomic bomb was quote a good excuse to yeah. end the war <laughs> yeah because it was it meant that they didn't have to blame the military for losing it. They didn't mm-hmm. have to blame manufacturing, and they didn't have to blame the Supreme Council, the Emperor, anything like that. It's no shame. Which is, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So it's <laughs> it's one of those things that it's kind of... It's interesting also that it presented itself in this way that, as you mentioned, Justin, like the the public address is very much propaganda, where it's like these evil, um, you know these Americans who have no concern for life are just going to wipe out everybody if we don't surrender. Yeah. That's still... Which, while true. While very true. (laughs) (laughs) They knew who they were talking about. Right. Um, (laughs) it It can couch it in a way where it also shows, like, the public, which, you know, if you're the emperor, you're not... I don't know, maybe modern times they're like concerned because it's more just kind of a, a figurehead thing, well, yeah. especially now. Um, but they're not concerned whether or not they're the, the public is like going to be talking with each other like, I don't know if this is the right decision or whatever. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's it's very much like they could have dictated whatever the terms of the war, especially at that point, yeah. were going to be. I- I thought your point last week was excellent, too, about, like, in a totalitarian totalitarian state, it doesn't really matter when the public is done with the war. Like, it's not mm-hmm. a relevant yeah. condition. Yeah, it's it's something where the, you know, 
I'm sure the people who are like having their house um, burned to the ground from a fire bombing are not right too pleased right. with things going on, especially because they're <laughs> this war is not going great just, all of a sudden, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, until it personally affected me, I was gung ho for the war, but now, <laughs> shit, guys. <laughs> But that doesn't impact their productivity for things because yeah. what else are you going to do? Like yeah. <laughs> you, your only job is, you know, making rubber for the military and you want to quit that like in this society. <laughs> well, uh, and, you know, there's certain, you know, ways that they can go about getting you to work, too, if your job is to pr- produce for military resources. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so I think moving on from that is... Unless you two have anything else to to add, no. I had one. I have oh, one no. dumb dumb history trivia thing, which is that uh, the atomic bomb is not the most we- expensive weapon system deployed uh, on August sixth and ninth. The B twenty nine cost a billion dollars yep. more, <laughs> and they they had to they had to special plate that those yeah. ones too that to make them light enough to fly and stuff. Yeah, yeah. that ship. It's, it's like I mean they're they're both. Uh, technically impressive achievements, but the B twenty nine is nothing to laugh at. Like, and there's a lot of stuff that comes later that has civilian applications in similar ways, or not similar ways. That I think it's an easy argument that uh, fission is a bigger deal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to. B twenty nines power all those homes all yeah. over Europe. Um, yeah, the next time I come see y'all, it'll be on a, a B thirty. We've gone one step farther. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. I was anyway. That's all. I'm done. <laughs> that's a mighty cool history degree you got there. <laughs> Look, man, Central Washington University. So shitty they wouldn't even give us a direction. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Josh. So where do we go from here? Um, I I was gonna say let's go ahead and do the uh, the aftermath stuff um, yeah. because there's yeah. Um, you know, the United States, we had done the Trinity test and we, had, there'd been some other small testing, but like the idea of what fallout would be or radiation, it was really just a guess in the wind that, you know, there was no real way of knowing it even after the Trinity test. Cause you're just have one of one to measure anything against at that point as well. Um, so like Obviously, there was going to be fallout, but part of the idea of detonating it at whatever uh, 400 meters above the surface was that a lot of that would be dissipated back up and distributed out evenly amongst the atmosphere, and you wouldn't have nearly as much that would fall and make it to the ground and actually irradiate like the surfaces of everything and and that that type of thing happening. Um, so there was like um, an idea of why you or how the bomb was detonated and how and the elevation at which it was dropped and detonated. And that had some consideration into it. But even then, like they they underestimated <laughs> the destructive capacity of the bomb just from the explosiveness and just from the pressure wave. They underestimated like all of that stuff. So to have an idea that they would severely underestimate anything that had to do with the radiation and the fallout is, you know, par for the course. Yeah, I I, I mean, not to laugh at it, but I was watching 
um, Seinfeld last night, and it was the episode where, uh, I don't know if you two are familiar with the program, it was very popular in the 90s. Um, <laughs> and is an episode where uh, a main character, Kramer, tries to sneak in a cafe latte to a movie theater, and um, they were uh, making fun of the McDonald's hot coffee trial. And yeah. so he burns himself, and then he hires a lawyer, Jackie Childs, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Jackie wants him to go see a doctor so he can assess the burn so they can get the compensation and the lawsuit. But uh, Kramer put on a balm to put it to fix it and the burn went away. <laughs> and it was just a perfect soundbite from them in the cab ride because Jackie Childs goes like, he was like, I didn't know the balm would fix it. He goes, do you know what a balm does? Nobody knows what a balm does. <laughs> Which is exactly what these two uh, yeah. have in common. <laughs> Nobody seemed to know what the balm was going to do. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it would be tougher to get, you know, like 200,000 people to just stand in the middle of the Nevada and Arizona desert and just beta test them. You know, it's, it's not like uh, we would ever do that type of thing in America. <laughs> no, no, they, they saved that for people not, named Winona Beal in North Carolina. It's, it's not like uh, they were doing all these tests like on a bunch of native land where people were living. It's, it's not like we would do that here. It's not like we would do that at all. Of course, yeah. I just got back from Arizona, and there are signs <laughs> all over say, the desert. Has someone has someone been to White Sands recently? Yeah. There, there's <laughs> signs all over the desert in northern Arizona that like talk about uranium testing of the soil. So, you know, yeah, it's cool. I did, <laughs> I did like I, I tried to prepare a little bit on like the the six months or it's less than that, I guess, but the five or six months uh, after specifically in Hiroshima because it was like dead dropped straight over a civilian population. But I don't know if you guys had that Directly as well. over wanna... the top of the biggest hospital in the city. So that was yeah. a good idea to take but good that news, out. Good news, it got 42 other hospitals at the same time. So Jesus. Hey, hey, uh, but two, it, two survived, so. Yes, yes. And obviously we're able to clearly help everyone. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Did is that something I it's, if others yeah, did yeah, research, would, I can just supplant if or like pipe in along the edges. No, that would be that would be fantastic to hear about. I think. Um, so as uh, there, there's sort of a I think another thing that happens a lot in American retellings of this event is there's an undercount focused on like day of bomb deaths. Um, mm-hmm. So something like something like seventy thousand people died the day of uh, Hiroshima had a population depending on source around 300,000 um, the day of, of the bomb. Uh, like like uh, Josh was mentioning, there's there's a, an immediate, um, first there's like the thermal radiation, there's the burns, um, people that essentially get vaporized. Um, beyond that, there's the mechanical forces of uh, first thrust pushing away and then an equilibrium point and then drag pulling air back both of which are like highly destructive and cause a lot of mechanical damage to human beings um and then after that on the day of uh so the fun thing about atomic weapons as you guys have both covered quite adroitly is that it destroys all services across the board um there's a uh, oh shoot i wrote his name down and now i'm gonna have to find it because i forgot to i don't know where i wrote it down there's a, a catholic priest who for reasons i've forgotten wandered into um the area where the bomb was dropped like the day after uh and basically just kind of went on a long uh, it's a extremely long um written attestation from father 
author John Seems, S-I-E-M-E-S, who is a professor of modern philosophy at Tokyo's Catholic University, um, and uh, basically just describes that uh, everything that was wood instantly burst into flames and the whole city burned to the ground. Um, And he walked through a mixture of people who had terrible burns um, and then while listening to other people that in any normal circumstance could be saved, uh, burning to death at the bottom of buildings that had collapsed. Um, so that's your front 70,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing that also gets like, there's not, there's not a good way to die in a nuclear attack. Um, the worst you want to be right. You want to be right there. You want to, like, you want to be out. right at the epicenter yes. where there's the 1200 mile an hour winds that yeah. com- just completely incinerate everything instantaneously that's where you want to be um there's like a weird there's a lot of weird stuff that we learned that we've for obvious reasons not tested a ton after that but like with the burn effects uh what you were wearing had a deterministic effect on on how bad your burns were um there are pictures of people who were wearing like shirts that had like a a crosshatch pattern on it and they have Mm -hmm. terrible burns where one color was and their skin was protected in others um, the heat uh, was so severe that there are two there are two effects that have not been observed in any other circumstance. Uh, the first is that uh, the heat radiated from the bomb uh, roughened the surface of polished granite, like just in the open air. Um, and if there is any shadow, so say that there was a reinforced window for some reason that was preserved, there's a shadow on the granite where everything around uh, the shadow from you know the 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 crosshatch in the middle of your window uh, is is roughened and uh, actually ca- changed the the chemical structure of the or the, excuse me the crystal structure of the granite, um, which is not right. We don't see that in nature. Well, that's right. Like so because granite granite's what granite is is granite granite's not limestone. Marble's limestone, which is the one that's when you when you compress it so much that's what turns it into granite. Sure. I, I didn't. I didn't think to Google granite. Sorry. It's an internal pressure. It's an internal pressure in the earth, but it takes you know, right. hundreds of the, millions of years. The melting temperature of the crystals is six hundred degrees centigrade. Yeah. So it's high, real high. Yeah. Um, and that was observed both in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and essentially not since. And then the and other is. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, that's that's like where the the shadows from the people comes from, right? That the the granite or the ground was like bleached around uh, people. Yeah. Yes, and then also those are those are also projected onto like concrete surfaces. Right. Um, but both, yeah, definitely. Um, and then also that they it managed to bubble roof tiles, which is again like, we I don't know that anyone totally like they haven't tried to replicate it exactly why, but like the the roof tiles on people's homes, anything facing towards the blast was was uh, uh, boiled for for a minute or two, which is insane. Um, so yeah, so that's what it as sort of examples like obviously human human tissue exposed to that uh, didn't make it um and then uh uh large uh pieces of a prison wall were thrown 80 feet um anything within a mile uh the force of the of the wind essentially tore it down unless it was specifically reinforced concrete um so there's just a huge number of people that died that we don't we don't know um yeah what happened and to this- them these were cities too during the war that especially at this time like most stuff was made out of wood structures Mm -hmm. like wood wood is a huge um 
huge building material like traditionally in Japan. Even Miho's uh, like family name, her maiden name, is Onuki, which means like large wooden screw, mm. because it's like a type of thing that you know her ancestors um, made to construct things out of wood. And you can def- definitely still see it. Like it's it's very expensive to get, but um, there's like types of wood cuttings to build structures that don't use any like nails or screws or anything to put together they have like a way of cutting the wood that it just fits together like a puzzle piece to hold it insanely you know like earthquake protected strength um but that's kind of like i think knowing that that's what exists like when you look at the after pictures of either hiroshima or nagasaki that's why everything's flattened because everything was wood pretty right. much back then. It all, it all burned down after. Um, yeah. And then I think that like there's a lie we tell ourselves about, uh, about right fallout shelters and all these sorts of things, right? Reinforced concrete buildings might mm-hmm. stand up to the, the blast and everything else. So there's a couple interesting things with the radiation. Um, first is that it seems that the fatal doses were delivered in the one minute of the like highest activity of the fission blast, right? That there's a lot of background radiation that, that affects lots of things in the in the ongoing, but people who experienced the radiation poisoning were there that day, right? If the you one, yeah, even, the, the acute where your cells right. just start breaking down all inside your body and it's an uncontrollable chain reaction. Right, uh, which like, I also think we under appreciate the like severity of, of what happened to people. Um, so not to like, whatever, this is gross, but, uh, obviously within a couple hours, um, you start throwing up pretty significantly. Um, if you are on the lucky side, meaning the moderate side, uh, you start losing your hair about 11 days later, you'll experience fevers, malaise, severe inflammation. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this word, but P E T E C H I A E, which is when all of your lymph nodes accumulate so much uh, putrid blood that it uh, eats through your skin and you start just bleeding out of every lymph node. Um, mm-hmm. Only only about half of those people died. Um, if you're Jeez. unlucky, if you're unlucky, and within the first five days after acute exposure, you start having diarrhea. Um, by the next day, you're vomiting up uh, liquefied portions of your internal organs, uh, inflammation in the the mouth and throat can be fatal on its own. But then if you manage to survive that, uh, you go through extremely high fever and rapid emaciation as your body essentially putrefies and liquefies from the inside, hundred percent mortality within 10 days. Um, and so the thing that like it's underreported and undercaptured here is the extent to which we don't know who was actually necessarily in Hiroshima or Nagasaki on the day of the bombing, right? Societies in in wartime have lots of people who are in flux and moving around. Mm. There's one somewhat famous case of a guy. There's probably a couple dozen people that survived both bombings. There's one guy in particular that was within three kilometers of both explosions. He was on a business trip in Hiroshima, was severely burned, um, went home and was trying to recuperate in his private home in Nagasaki and was experienced the second bombing. But it took him until the 90s to get official recognition as a as a survivor of both mm-hmm. bombings um so the like the like the current estimates from the hiroshima uh 
project to understand this and, and the sort of the national and, and, and local effort to understand this is that something like 140,000 people died by December of 1945 who were in Hiroshima on the day of the bombing, which is near enough to half of the total population of the city. Um, and it just, I don't know, man. I, like, I, I feel like I've, this feels rote because I've had this conversation with people a couple times where they're like, trying to argue with me about the, 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 like that it was oh we had to save this we had to da, da, da. and like I just don't think we think about enough or that we acknowledge enough or we really look at enough like the severity of the horror that was perpetrated and that like mm -hmm. it is as in many ways it is just as bad as firebombing and in many other ways it is exponentially and almost uh, uh, impossible to comprehend worse mm -hmm. um, and then, like, we have a 70-year study to still understand the impacts of the background radiation and birth defects and leukemia and, and solid tumors and everything else, right? Like, it's, they're, they're, uh, yeah, they're not, weapons isn't even the right word. It's just a fucking calamity. Like, the, it's an absolute beyond uh, justification. And, like, we, we like to, like, play with this idea of, like, tactical nukes and, like... Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> the thing that... I'm going to put one in this in this sniper rifle. Just a right, tip. Right, Just a little right. tip. Um, it's, and it, that's the thing that drove me nuts whenever we were living in Japan um, because we... The area that we lived, uh, Miho and I, it was right next to, like, the, the Pentagon of Japan. Like, mm -hmm. they're their main central military building. And whenever North Korea would act up, um, they would like deploy their anti-missile like defense systems yeah. out. And um, not like it was, you know, like blocking us into our apartment or anything, but they had it around that building. And so like we, <laughs> like we literally went to our, um, my in-laws house one weekend just because we are like, maybe 15 miles will save us See, a little I'm, bit. I'm like going to, I'm going to go pitch a tent next to the Pentagon. Well, <laughs> they gonna, they're not going to miss the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take me. I'm, if I'm anybody, I'm the lady in independence day right, holding yeah. the sign yeah. up at the, yeah, at yeah, the yeah, alien thing. Yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. go in the first second. <laughs> But no, was, I don't want to deal with sickness no. or, mm -mm. Nope, or burns nope. all over my body. <laughs> they're, but I they're survived. Luckily, they're off to the west. You know, the wind would we would think go to the east, right? Because the Earth is spinning. I don't know. But so that, but that's the point. Is it the 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 radiation in that first minute acts like X rays, right? Yeah. Like it's okay, not, yeah. it's not well, the background, true. the the drift, the wind is not right. You you are you are experiencing ionizing radiation at a level that will or won't kill you based on factors that we still don't understand because we don't do this to people. Um, I mean, if we wouldn't like put them right say. next to the sun, right, <laughs> right. Could, but you it could was, get a, just right in right right after a solar flare. You just put a person like right next to it. You could test it. I think the the thing though that drove me crazy was that I would see online people just like obviously they're not the ones making the decision but like taunting North Korea like go ahead shoot a nuke at Tokyo. Yeah. And it's just like insane that the the level of um comfortability with yeah, yeah. like this thing is is nuts. Um, right. Which I still and feel like Doctor Strangelove tackled fairly well. Like it's a, yeah. it's always yeah. a good. It's worth it to rewatch. But anyway, go ahead, I sorry. only I only saw it once and recently. Um, it good. It good. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. fighting in the war room. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I think it's. I think that's 
knowing that and but i i want to know like if either of you know what the what happened right after that like what was the military response obviously they built it up insanely and the soviet union followed suit and then we have you know plenty of nukes around the world but like do you know what the thinking is going into that of like because i know right after the scientists were like, we didn't know it was going to kill so many people. We thought it was just going to be 20,000, which is, again, an insane number to think, like, is okay um, to justify personally. But knowing that it was pursued so intensely, um, like, what is, why is it, <laughs> well, you know, sought after? The first, the first thing that happens after the bomb gets dropped um, not even Nagasaki, like right after um, Truman announces Hiroshima, all of these scientists who had been working on the Manhattan Project and I just because it was completely compartmentalized. So you had no idea like what you were working on or how anything worked with anybody else. And all of these people that have been working on stuff that they like in in their wildest imagination couldn't have figured out how that was a component of any kind of weapon of a bomb type of thing um immediately wanted to get their restricted access taken away so they can write papers about this is what i was working on i was not working on a weapon that killed two hundred thousand japanese people <laughs> like please god i don't want to be associated with this um, and that like opens up a whole new can of worms where America's uh, now had gotten to the point where they kind of gave over this whole idea of the big secret, the big secret of this big secret weapon that we're not going to let anyone else in the world know about. And that secret was controlled by the military. And because the military now controlled the most destructive secret the world could ever imagine, now kind of the idea was shifting to oh shit, maybe if they're in charge of that secret, maybe that means they're the most powerful thing ever and we should just like let them make all the decisions. <laughs> and, and so then there were like, you know, civilian scientists who were like, wait a second, guys, wait a second. Uh, we can't just all be classified for all like scientific research on anything that would have to do with any type of uh, nuclear fission technology ever going forward. And so if any of us like write a paper in college, we can't get like thrown into a military prison because we mentioned something and not just that, uh, scientists are going to figure this out. It's, this is just natural things in our universe that are going to be discovered. It's not like we can like lock this in a box and no one will ever find out about it. <laughs> yeah. If only we could make it so that you couldn't analyze physics, you know, right. Only we could deploy some sort of <laughs> two dimensional. This is a joke for it, Eric. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm loving it. <laughs> so, so you get the, so you get like lots of, uh, you know, committees that are like, you know, fighting each other, like military committees that are like, no, we have to keep everything secret for the safety of the country, and even to the point to where they're like, it's worth it to halt any type of technological advancement. <laughs> that is more important than it is to divulge any secrets of this type of level that could possibly destroy our nation from an enemy. So we would rather even just like never advance beyond this point technologically if it meant that we get to keep all the secrets. <laughs> 
which is like an insane position to like have, especially from the military, who is like, you, you think of the military as like the burgeoning edge of all of this technological advancement. But they were like, at that point, they were like, can we just put a cap on it? Can this be it? Yeah. Well, it was like a monopoly on the that sort of power, right? Like that was the idea was you'd have one one government that could unassailably do what it needed to forever in its own opinion. Right. And so the big problem then became that a bunch of the military guys that were in charge of a lot of these now what were classified decisions, um, they didn't have like any science backgrounds. Um, so everything became more about the uh, how how powerful the secret was and maintaining the secret. <laughs> um <laughs> Above all okay. else, hey, can you hear the, the dogs breaking into the room? <laughs> yes, yeah, just a little. Only bit. a little. <laughs> <laughs> They're also distressed by this topic. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, so in fact, the secret became more important than the science. So, like, even at one point, like a small vial of like um, spent sample of uranium goes missing in like 1947. That was originally part of the Manhattan Project. And there's uh, there's like hearings in Congress, and they're they're bringing up all these scientists uh, claiming that they're spies for Russia and they stole this and everything, and all these scientists are trying to explain. They're like, this this material has no weapons capability whatsoever. It's not if it's lost, who cares? It's not it just has nothing to do. And like, all it's a bunch of you know uh, Republican congressmen that are like, I don't know. Uranium sounds like a scary word. Sounds like something <laughs> you'd want to give to the communists. <laughs> exactly how it sounds whenever they're talking about like ISPs. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you remember those hearings just a few years ago? Dude, it's it's so, it, listening to some of the stuff and like and uh, in the audible version of the book, they have like transcripts from some of the hearings. So you got the guy like doing the voices of the <laughs> of the congressman and then the scientists in the hearing. <laughs> That's it's, great. <laughs> it's it's like it's like deja vu. Like just the it's we're we're not in the worst time ever for like uh, political discourse or anything. It's the same that it's always been, guys. I just listened to fucking hearings of a bunch of idiots who knew nothing about science co- accuse everyone of being a communist and that they should be mur- killed for treason. So yeah. it's Every, not it's all the same. It, tur- it turns out everything is the Scopes monkey trial. It's just a question of, la- of whether or not the monkey is holding the nuclear football. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Is the nuclear weapon like an impetus for McCarthyism yes. in the U.S.? Okay. That becomes what? a big thing because, well, not, it's it's not in and of itself, but this, the idea of maintaining a confidential nature on this technology creates an atmosphere inside the government of everybody's a spy. Everybody's going to steal this stuff. And so there's a large group inside the government that's like, it's dumb to keep any of this secret. The way to actually treat this is to just make it all open source. Make everybody have it. And because if if people are trying to take it, that's going to make us more <laughs> suspicious of each other and actually do harm to ourselves more more cuz the secret's going to get out no matter what. So why well, then, why try to why try to punish each other for letting the secret get out? With McCarthy specifically, the secret had gotten out, right? Like that's yeah. after the Soviets get the bomb and there's this like oh, intense yeah. they just, wave of so, Soviets test a bomb less than four years after right. after Hiroshima. 
because they were all they were all there. They were they were all there at the Manhattan Project. They were all there. Yeah. <laughs> and we electrocuted a couple randoms who may yeah. have had something exactly. to do with it. Because they because they Jewish. they found a blueprint in their like in their satchel one day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, so how does it? How does like the secrecy move forward then like how does this technology keep advancing through the cold war like on both sides or any side or whatever i think it i think the paradigm stays the same and it just shifts what technology you're talking about right it moves through bombers and then it moves into missiles then it moves into missile defense systems and like crescendos with star wars in the 1980s satellites well i mean that's what the that's what the uh moon race and everything else is Mm -hmm. about too like it is about getting satellites in space and it is like sputnik is what helps the united states figure out the reverse technology for what could be eventually gps and they start a gps program because they figure out how to locate them locate sputnik by sending a specific radio signal to it and measuring the distance when it bounces back and so they think what if we reverse this and then immediately the United States military starts a GP global positioning system uh, study off of that. So we don't ever really think about that from the space program part of the beginning of the space race because all we ever hear about is the right stuff and fucking Gemini and getting getting a man in a fucking capsule. Like none of that shit really fucking mattered. It was about getting <laughs> who can get the who can get the grid of satellites up in space soonest and who can figure out how to like make that control everything. Yeah, Inter- interesting small intersection with my family's personal history. My dad uh, did not pass the test to go to pilot training the first time. So he was a second lieutenant with an engineering background and they just tasked him to like some random project management job uh, inside like the Cold War buildup. Um, so he was sent out to a place called Johnston Island um, where essentially in a panic immediately after Sputnik Uh, Congress had approved development of an anti-satellite system with just a blank check and like no real scientific understanding (laughs) and through just just send a guy up there with in in a hot air balloon and when the satellite comes by have him shoot it with with a browning 50 (laughs) essentially yeah not you're not so they figured out pretty quickly uh earlier in the project that like the math of hitting one moving object with another moving object is very difficult uh and so their solution to that was just like well we'll put a nuke on the tip uh jeez we got so, it we got it let's yeah. use it you know and my it's it's like a funny like thing my, it was like a fam like a fought my dad never told any of us anything we just knew that he'd spent all this time on this island in the pacific um before like after he'd married my mom and and but before any of us were born and uh and then uh like in like the mid 2000s like he like was like i was pushing him on it and he like said like the program code and i went and like there's like whole phds written like it's like totally declassified and like but yeah so they went out to johnson island and they built this whole facility where with 8k of ram they could do just enough math just fast enough to get close enough that a fairly large nuclear weapon could take out a satellite (laughs) From, from the ground. Very effective. I'm, I'm a, satel- a satellite the size of a soccer ball. Right, right, right. It had no, like, intelligence gathering. And it, and then it was, like, immediately after the U.S. got to space, like, the purpose of the program no longer existed. But, be, like, the check was written, so they finished it out and, like, deployed it, and it was operational for, like, five or six years, and then a hurricane took it out, and they were like, well, that at least ends our 
That at least ends our commitment to it's maintaining like, this. Hugh, <laughs> no one's going to absentmindedly fire a nuclear weapon at a fucking yeah, satellite yeah. just happening to um, go by. But he, they did do one. It was not. It was an inert warhead. But they did do a couple like test launches of the like the the tracking and guidance systems. And like it, if it had ever, if they never, if they had ever wanted to like vaporize Leica, they could have got that dog. They absolutely could have yeah, got yeah, that dog. Yeah. That's actually what happened. <laughs> so anyway, that's my like uh, family history tangent for the evening. <laughs> The uh, I guess the the uh, the uplifting you know moment of 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 this to to look at it uh, the other thing I I want to avoid is to like make people think that like uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima are something like Chernobyl or something and you like you can't go touch them or they're like it's this like vast wasteland uh, looks like another planet or something still there and it's still all a bunch of irradiated fizzle material that's like just hovering around the surface of the ground it's it's not like that it's it's um like uh the cities are there there's yeah you 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 can take uh, your own geiger counter and you can't measure any trace elements of radiation any more than what would be in the normal atmosphere because of all the testing that was done in the uh 30 years after this um so i had a chill i had a chill time in hiroshima yeah (laughs) i was like 19 on a backpacking trip i was like fuck yeah let's go to hiroshima did you go to the museum you could touch all the metal handrails the only thing i did there yeah i I spent like a full day like i was like oh i'll do that and then i'll do something i was like no like as soon as i was in it i was like okay this is now why i'm here like this yeah yeah so yeah anyway i i had never visited there so that was that's one that um last week when miho and i were talking about this episode uh, she was like, we should just go visit. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think she's, she's seen it, but yeah, it's one of those, I mean the, from what I've heard about the museum, it is a totally different presentation than what like the Holocaust museum is at least in Dallas. Of, oh God. Uh, like I, mean, the, I haven't been to the Holocaust museum in Dallas. <laughs> I, I believe, or it, maybe it was a touring one or something, I but the I the Holocaust museum I in Dallas is like a, it's a stationary thing. It's been here for a long time. Okay. Then it's, it was more, it's like, I don't know if this is the right word to describe it, but from my recollection of seeing it was like more of a trying to be artistically emotional, I suppose. Like something where it's like, you know, these are all the shoes mm. from people who were killed. I think in de- in defense of there are a lot of Holocaust museums and especially in smaller cities, I think they have to try and like do something people haven't seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Hiroshima one is quite direct. It's mostly physical objects that survived the blast and pictures of people that were affected by it, like reproduced in a large scale. They yeah, had a nine was- 11 memorial in Sedona, Arizona. <laughs> At the fire station. I think it's just a piece of I-beam from one of yeah. the towers. There's a random I-beam that's just like sticking out of the lake near where we like to cook out sometimes. And every time someone's there for the first time, I tell them it's a 9-11 memorial <laughs> and wait to see how long how long it takes for them to question me. <laughs> I don't know what it's there for. <laughs> it's still there from the fire. Yeah, yeah, it, it got flung all this way. Yeah. 
back back when we had steel ivy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the great Chicago fire. That this part of the lake that or this part of the waterfront that's probably fill dirt from <laughs> God knows what construction project is forty years later. Anyway. Uh, Eric's back. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I think my uh my chibi dog is going nuts, but um I wanted to ask if you had any closing thoughts or important topics you wanted to bring up. I've got a quick hitter. I read a lot about yeah. the 70 years of research, like attempts at longitudinal studies, mostly which like the Japanese took over in 1970 and they became much more effective. But the first 20 years were run by a consortium that was just a bunch of American military personnel and, and arrogant physicians. And among their many failed efforts, they built a permanent research location with a bunch of clinics and everything else um, and somehow managed to build it on a military cemetery and like, is it Sh- uh, Shinto is the religion, right? I'm yeah, not, yeah. On a Shinto shrine slash like <laughs> military graveyard. Jeez. <laughs> Do you know Just, where? Uh, I, 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 I mean, right outside Hiroshima, there's a name for the place. I, I don't know what it is. The buildings are still there and the Institute still utilizes them because like you can't unfuck the pig. Um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I'm glad anyway, no one used that as a reason to, you know, fly planes into the World Trade Center. <laughs> yeah. Our ability to like make something just a smidge worse is unparalleled. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so. it, in last quick hit notes, um, when I was talking about how they were trying to decide uh, the best methodology to keep all these things secret, even though they're all going to come to light. Um, so they they had a bunch of physicists that had been like heads up, like the the higher people up in on the Manhattan Project, and they were like, "Well, you guys, since you're familiar with like the science, why don't you guys just come up with like a protocol book?" And so if we see like something like in a newspaper or a magazine article, we can say, "Hey, wait, that should be classified." And so a bunch of physicists came up with basically a decision tree that was like, if it says this, it's probably been stolen by the communists. If it says this, oh, it's probably no harm. Just some guy was doing some, you know, free wheel and journaling in his in his physics lab in a college. But if it says this, oh, he's probably a communist. So it's like all these A-B decision trees. And uh, the, the commentary is like, then they started actually using that as like, well, these are the rules. It's just black and white rules of how we're supposed to follow this. <laughs> so all these people get dragged in, you know, um, and like <laughs> the fact that they didn't just think maybe we should uh, if we're going to have scientists like write a big thing about like uh, what could be a good decision making policy on on how on how people should behave with like sensitive materials like maybe they could have asked like a sociologist or like a psychologist or somebody but to have a physicist who just like oh it's just algebra just fucking easy they want to rely on (laughs) if he's this he's good if he's this fucking (laughs) communist it's easy do you this is like a tangent but like do you ever think about like the follow-on effects societally of that of like how many uh, like effectively quacks got sort of credentialed by like they were fucking around in their garage and they managed to put together the right word salad of stuff and they get hauled in because of some like nonsense uh, uh, 
decision tree and then when they get back to their garage they're like i'm fucking onto something i'm <laughs> Dude, i'm close to the source here no, guys that's, that's that's another thing is like they had a policy about that too because people start putting it like just trying to tease it you know they try to mm. test this policy mm-hmm. so like harper's publishes a magazine article that's going to be like how to build an atomic bomb okay <laughs> and it's like step by step and before they're allowed to publish it you know the military gets word is like well we got to proofread this and then they have the position where we can't confirm or deny if anything that is written in this story is correct because if we say oh no you can't publish this then you automatically know that maybe some of it is right <laughs> and if we say oh no we don't care publish the hell out of that then we're saying oh no it's all wrong so we can't confirm or deny whether or not you should or should not publish this but you probably shouldn't publish this <laughs> <laughs> just just the worst poker players ever the, the yeah. united states government <laughs> we, we do great <laughs> Well, at least nobody's ever been hurt from it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all, um, all benign. Right. Just like the tumors we grew. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, you got to well, go. You. Thank you. Uh, yeah. It's a good job, okay. Justin. He's going nuts. Mm. Can you see me- him back there? He's medium. That Th- looks thanks like they're thanks for down. not roasting us for everything we got wrong last week. Yeah, I was I'm, getting afraid. Or right sorry, when started. everything I got wrong last week. No, what are you talking about? I don't think you guys got anything wrong. <laughs> there was just like a little, like, I don't know. I just wanted to go slightly just deeper. Just a little. Just, just a, a little, little deeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Um, that was an excellent job. Until next time, I've, that's all I've got. Do you want to sign off, Justin? What's your What's your call sign? What, what are you going to, what do you got? You got anything to promote? You got any shows coming up? Um, what's, going, what's going on with that Expanse podcast? Yeah. When you gonna when you gonna finish that? Bye. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs>